Lovett has gone forward with Stewart to the right, Lineker and Howes to the left. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! That is schoolboy's own stuff. Oh, I bet even he can't believe it. Is there anything left from this man to surprise us? That was one of the finest free kicks that this stadium has ever seen. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. 81 episodes, Jeff, and they said it wouldn't last. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. Before we get on to the football, your trivia question. A simple one this week. What is the biggest gap in points between the team that finishes top of the Premier League and bottom? What is the biggest gap in a season? And just to give you all a clue, everybody's thinking Derby County. It isn't Derby County. That was going to be my one guess. We'll find out at the end of the show, but before all that... Another exciting and interesting week. We'll start with the games last Friday. This was the weirdest result possibly of the weekend. Leicester 2, Newcastle 4. And the two Leicester goals were nothing more than consolation goals, really. Newcastle raced into a 4-0 lead. Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to know where was that Newcastle team the week before against Arsenal. The, the Newcastle team that played last Friday was the team that played West Ham. It's incredibly strange how they can be that good one week and terrible the next. They were well worth their 4-0 lead and Leicester couldn't get anything going at all and they were genuine consolation goals the game was well over before that and they looked very good now the question is how could they be so terrible before Christmas and they really were terrible they were shockingly bad you know not not even championship quality team and yet they look the real deal they look a mid-table side now now one possible answer is that it turns out they have been affected by the coronavirus as a squad much more than anybody else and players have come back far too soon and not been fit enough to actually play 90 minutes that is genuine by the way it's not and it's not an excuse coming out of Newcastle and maybe that was the answer that's an interesting one because I mean we all make excuses for our clubs I know we've had more injuries than anybody else but that turnaround at Newcastle has been quite noticeable I mean it's a big difference and maybe that was it because there was a time when they did have a lot of people out possibly now Newcastle fans will warm up a little bit to Steve Bruce well sadly I don't think they will you know they they are in their heads they've Bruce together with Ashley and you know it's like um, like at West Ham the owners can't do anything right Ev- everything bad is the owner's fault and everything good is is something else and I think they've just lumped Bruce together with Ashley and I don't think it matters how well he does and let's be honest he's actually done very well this season Ashley is, is one kettle of what's its names but with other clubs like West Ham sometimes you know this uh, want, wanting to change the owners you really must be careful what you wish for I mean with West Ham what would you get in their place an American well, you, you say American, and that, and that yeah, that, that might be quite intuitive because West Ham have just taken an emergency loan of 120 million pounds from Michael Dell, and and Dell of Dell Computers has been going round offering money, usually seven between 70 and 100 million, to clubs to tide them over. Now, the the loss that West Ham have made that's attributable directly to the coronavirus is 42 million pounds in the last season. 42 million. That does not include Include the reduction in TV revenue. The reduction was 350 million. That's been booked in the profit and loss account, but the, the cash reduction only happens next season. So it's going to get worse for every single Premier League team. So 120 million at minimally 
it's got to be minimally 10% they'll be paying on this because the clubs that have borrowed money before, it's been 9.18% and the loan's been secured on the ground. West Ham can't secure a loan on the ground, can they? Because they're a tenant. Yeah, and just to, just to sort of put some facts out there about um, Sullivan and Brady and Gold, they spent £411 million over the past five years on transfers. It's the seventh biggest in the Premier League and the fans go on at them about, you know, even today and last night. Oh, it's 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 all down to the, the owners. They won't spend the money. They're the seventh highest spenders in the last five years. I think that's something that fans miss and don't look at before they start complaining. This thing about, yeah, oh, we, we haven't got any big stars. We're battling against the Man Uniteds of this world and so on. And yet you are seventh biggest spenders and already have some good players and have some good players that cost a lot less and Lingard on loan and all that. So actually, to be where you are in the league shouldn't be that much of a surprise given all that. No, if we've spent the seventh seventh largest amount and we finish fifth then good you know there, there's no problem there the 120 million will take West Ham's debt total debt to 190 million pounds which is an extraordinary number for a club the size of West Ham that doesn't own its own ground Elliott Group which is a, a hedge fund in America now own Milan what people call AC Milan do you know how they got it? No they loaned the Chinese businessman who bought AC Milan they loaned him 248 million pounds he couldn't make the repayments so Elliott Group now own AC Milan. I think we're going to see a lot of that in the Premier League this season. That's one of those things, if you can't pay it back, then we take your assets, which is the club. That's how capitalism works, isn't it? And nobody should be in the least bit surprised, and we've said it before, that fans shouldn't be surprised that the owners of their clubs try to make money and have no respect for the fans. And there you are, there's somebody scooping up deals by buying up people and clubs that can't can't sustain themselves. Yeah, the real sting in the tail with the Milan tail is that Elliott Group end up owning the club, having paid one-third of its agreed market value nine months before. So if anybody thinks Manchester United can go out and get lots of money, borrow lots of money to buy players, just remember how banks work. And Elliott Group and Milan is the measure of how banks work. They will end up owning your club at a knockdown price. I think it's even worse than, than the bank analogy. It's like taking your 10 grand Rolex to the pawn shop and pawning it for a thousand pounds and then not being able to make the payments after the three months and the pawn shop end up with your 10 grand watch. That's how that works. You've had a grand out of it, um, which you could never pay back. Right, we'll move on to some of the other games. That Leicester game, when they unexpectedly lost at home to Newcastle, kind of gave hope to the chasing pack. That chasing pack being Everton, West Ham, Tottenham and Liverpool, because we want to see one at least of the top four failing. Uh, it didn't seem to ignite Tottenham at all. They were the early game on Saturday. They lost away at Leeds United 3-1. Um, the Leeds went into a 1-0 lead, then Son equalised. Harry Kane had a goal disallowed for being onside as far as I can see well he certainly wasn't offside I mean I think that's he wasn't offside read the rules he was onside yes and uh, you know I'm not going to hold that up as a reason why we lost the game it was a bad day at the office I'm not sure having watched the game again that you can actually say there was any particular reason it was just a bad day at the office maybe that disallowed goal had something to do with it but that pretty much means that Tottenham's top four ambitions or uh, probably more like dreams (laughs) are now dead in the water aren't they oh yes they are I I thought they probably were before Tottenham lost because the better team won and the the one thing that, that Leeds can teach everybody in the Premier League this season is they're a team. They have a brilliant coach who set up a team. It's not a team of stars. It's not a good team with star players adding that everybody works as hard as everybody else. They are a genuine team.
team. And they, they deserve that win because of that. They're a better team. Yeah, and it's particularly in the, the first half, and certainly the first 15 minutes uh, watching the game, I was, I was mesmerised with the speed of the Leeds players and the speed with their passing and the movement they're running around and moving it was confusing I and mean, it was almost like the Tottenham players heads were spinning going where's he gone where's he gone and it was very much pass and go as soon as the player got the ball he passed it to another one and the rest of them started buzzing around like I don't know hornets or something it was unplayable yeah when, when I grew up playing football and you know the, the people who taught, taught us, us lads how to play football they always talked about pass and move now Bielsa and his, his disciples don't talk about pass and move they talk about offer so make yourself available receive pass move and that that movement and the chaos it creates is is deliberate it's part it's part of his plan it's what he does and it, it is just wonderful to watch but i would not make the point though that dyer didn't buy into that chasing dyer's response to this is if you stand in one place the ball will eventually come to you and and he was absolutely shocking it, it is almost beyond belief that he can be even thought about as an England centre-back in the Euros. Yes, I mean, it was, certainly Leeds were on balance the better team on the day. Um, it didn't help that Kane had that goal disallowed. It also didn't help that <laughs> one of the Leeds goals, the ball came in low across the box, not particularly at speed. It almost stopped at Dyer's feet, bite by his toes, and he basically looked down at it as inviting the Leeds player on, who couldn't believe his luck. Dyer just watched the ball. Yeah, it was just like, after you. Yeah, it was very strange, and I think the difference between the teams is Leeds played as a team that and the incredible incredible pace and the fact they were just but it was like watching one film in slow motion being in Tottenham and one film sped up being Leeds United it was incredible the, the as we say the running once they passed the ball they'd run into a different position with Tottenham and most other teams I, was, I noticed a Tottenham player would pass the ball and then think to himself well my work for the moment is done a Leeds player would then go who can I take out now who can I draw to me yeah I, I, I think it might be a bit more positive than that it's where can I go to make a difference maybe we'll talk about Manchester United later on but Edison Cavani everyone talks about his movement and it's a very simple thing all he does is think okay where can I score from in this situation where can I score from and of course he's got Bruno Fernandes whose brain works the same way where can I put this ball so we can score they're thinking about where can they cause damage I, I, I think it is absolutely wonderful the big question for Tottenham really is with Harry Kane 21 league goals and 13 assists Son Heung Min 17 goals and 10, ass- 10 assists how can a team with two such potent players only be in 7th place yeah that is something that Tottenham fans uh, that we ask ourselves quite constantly and the answer possibly is Serge Aurier and Eric Dyer. I don't know. I don't know. I think what it is is that team spirit and playing as a team and getting the ball up to those players. Getting the ball up to them at pace and early. That's the key. It's something that used to drive uh, Alex Ferguson mad and it drove Guardiola mad when he went to Bayern Munich. You've got to hit those forward players early and fast. And if you switch the ball across the field from left to right, it's got to be done fast. You've got to move, make that defence move and be slightly out of position when when they when the ball gets there not this slow jack wilshire turn the ball backwards and let's go god almighty and i think that's a big part of it with tottenham this year haven't been hitting the front 
front players fast enough and it's all been a bit so I think the players have been scared of making mistakes well that's exactly what I was about to say you said about Leeds United where can I put this ball to create danger and a scoring opportunity with Tottenham maybe it's where can I put this ball to make sure we retain possession and I don't lose it and make a mistake uh, hence very slow build-ups with such a dangerous attacking force in front of them and also perhaps what we're missing is that dangerous forward-thinking playmaker dare I say it a Christian Eriksen type figure I think Modric would be quite good Modric and Eriksen are the ideal the ideal player aren't they for, for that position um, so if you're a fan of Roma you've got this to come by the way Jose Mourinho is thinking of taking a couple of Tottenham players um, including possibly Dyer. so good luck with that as well right we'll move on uh other games apart from uh, Tottenham throwing away I suppose their top four chances we had a relegated Sheffield United I don't suppose it mattered very much against safe and mid-table Crystal Palace Crystal Palace beat Sheffield United 2-0 not a lot to say about that from me really regulation win you know as predicted we shrug and move on which I think pretty much all the players did as well but the big game that very day uh, for me anyway at least and I'm sure most of the uh, football community was Manchester City against Chelsea Man City would have won the league had they won that game Chelsea looking to consolidate top four we did say we thought they might find their last few games tough and could even drop out it didn't turn out like that it was Man City 1 Chelsea 2 let's talk about the big event of that game was Sergio Aguero taking a penalty and trying a panenka and doing it I can only say really woefully to me it looked like he was just chipping the ball up to his keeper yes it was absolutely terrible and it was it was a strange choice of penalty I mean the the, the people who do the stats um, show that normally with with a penalty you have an 80% chance of success that, that's every penalty taken in the Premier League has been analysed it's 80% chance of success panenkas are 5% lower than that so 75 so you have a lower chance of scoring with a panenka and it it was a bad Penenka. When Penenka himself did the first of those, which then got called a Penenka because he did it, it was in the final of the Euro Championships 1976 during the penalty shootout, and his was the decisive penalty. If he scores, Czechoslovakia win the Euros. If he fails, penalty shootout goes on. He did a, I was going to say he did a Penenka, but as you pointed out earlier on, it wasn't called a Penenka then. But he spent two years working out how to do that and how to do it. Two years after training every day for two years, he and the goalie would go and he'd practice and practice and practice. And you have to get it right. The key is to be running up fast and wait to the very last split second to make sure that the goalie is moving. And if the goalie doesn't move, you just put your foot through the ball and, and blow it in so Aguero didn't do that he wasn't watching the goalie no it, I mean it, it looked to me like it, instead of slowing down at the very last second he, it was that, that was when he decided to do the Palenka because he took quite a slow run-up as well I think kind of almost disrespectful as well to the goalkeeper in such an important game this is Chelsea you're playing it's not Fulham or something where you this is Chelsea this is one of the main contenders for top four possibly biggest rival next season for the for the league I think it was a little bit disrespectful and also a little bit blasé and disrespectful possibly to his own teammates I'm not sure it's disrespectful to his own teammates because he expects to score people who've been successful with Penenka's in penalty shootouts have done it and one of the reasons for doing it is to um, have a negative effect on the person who takes the next penalty and, and the stats back that up usually the person who takes the penalty 
penalty after the Penenka misses. And it, it is a sort of arrogant thing to try and put the other team down. There are lots and lots of stats that have been done since 2006-07 season by Opta, who tracked the location of every Premier League penalty. Did it go left, right, high, low? They've actually divided the goal into, into seven seven bits. And although the, the average is 80%, if you shoot low left, it's 77%. Low right is 80%. Now, it's, it's higher for the sort of fairly obvious reason that it's like a pass when you do it to your right it's like a pass which is more accurate when you're doing it to your left it's like a shot which is less accurate and that's what most players do however aiming a penalty kick straight down the middle is 98% successful and a penenka of course is down the middle but that's when the shot is high if the shot is low down the middle the goalie's legs will still be there and its success rate falls to 80% there are a lot of reasons to, to suggest that actually putting your foot through the ball straight down the middle as Harry Kane does very often is the best way to score the corollary of that of course is that the goalkeeper should stand in the middle of the goal and not dive and of course the reason that they don't do that is that if the ball is put to the side they get criticised for not making an effort but they will actually save more penalties if they stand in the middle and don't dive just go back to Panenka he just won the Euro Championships for Czechoslovakia against West Germany went back off the pitch everyone's jumping around and happy except his manager who told him off for doing it and he was told if you'd miss that then there'd be huge punishment what sort of punishment he said and the answer was quote 30 years working down the mines so there's real balls taking that penalty yeah that is I mean that's a punishment it's not so you'll be docked a 10 grand off your 100 grand a week's wages as you get these days that 30 years in the salt mines or whatever that was under the communist regime the manager said it would be for disrespecting the communist party having said that he missed the penalty Chelsea then uh, went on to win after that uh, and scored a late goal to make it Chelsea 2 City 1 away at City thus holding back celebrations to win the league but it wasn't all about Aguero Chelsea looked very good doing it yeah Chelsea looked very very good and the the best best two players for them on the day were Mount and Gilmore youth team products who all the journalists predicted would be got rid of by Tuchel because he wants the stars there but actually what they've done is show work hard in training show they're worth the place and play extremely well on the pitch but Tuchel is the turnaround in Chelsea is quite incredible and it is down to him and as a coach he was he has already beaten Guardiola, Klopp, Mourinho, Ancelotti, Simeone and Zidane this season. It's quite a record. Yes, I mean, we often talk about a managerial spike when an old unpopular manager is out and a new one comes in and everybody tries to prove themselves. But that has now continued for a long time and there is no doubt that Tuchel has made a huge difference to Chelsea. As a Tottenham fan, I will say, I will add to that, unfortunately. You can't deny it, he has been very, very good. In the other game on Saturday, Liverpool 2 Southampton nil again I suppose routine Southampton are just off the relegation zone yeah and there was one notable event in that match and it's the first time this has happened this season um, Salah passed and Mane scored and that and that is the first time this season that those two have combined for a goal that's quite weird isn't it because you have said many times on this podcast that Salah when he's scoring is not a problem but if he's not in a, on a scoring run then he is because he won't pass to other players and often takes the wrong decision to shoot himself and there he is passing uh, to Mane, and that was the first time they'd combined all season. And we are just two games away from the end of the season, so you've been proved right. Other games, Wolves 2, Brighton 1. Wolves have sort of turned it around a little bit lately. Yeah, but Dunk getting himself sent off was the turning point in that match. Brighton were mm, kind of in control of the match up to that point. They were 1-0 up. 
wolves weren't creating anything and he got himself sent off which it was the most stupid thing he's the wolves players 35 yards away from goal now wh- i don't understand why defenders foul the attacker there surely your, your chances are better leaving him one-on-one versus the goalkeeper strikers don't like being one-on-one against the goalkeeper and the, you know, it's probably a 50 50 chance whereas being sent off is almost guaranteeing you're going to lose. Yeah, then to compound it, Mopay got sent off uh, after the final whistle. So not a great day at the office for Brighton, but as they were to find out later, both West Brom and Fulham relegated, so Brighton are safe anyway. Aston Villa won, Man United 3. Again, Man United coming back for, I don't know how many times now, from being behind. They've got second, haven't they? That's Especially with Leicester losing. That's consolidated second for Man United. Yeah, it was kind of regu- regulation win, wasn't it? It's Man United did what they've been doing all season um ollie obviously gives good half-time team talks because they, they come out much better than they went in and it was a regulation win yeah just a side note to that cavani got the third goal and then has gone on to sign a new contract and is staying at man united uh, which i guess for them is great news we have to come to it jeff west ham nil everton won your team much like mine not taking advantage of leicester's loss to newcastle yeah and everton are a, a much much better team away from home than at home because they're a defensive counter-attacking team um, West Ham obviously had to attack because we needed to win the match needed to, to get the points so we kind of played to their strength having said that they had 6 shots and we had 11 so defensively they weren't fantastic because we still had 11 shots and th- the reason that we didn't win was our final ball was bad and our shooting was bad Ben Rama was put through up from the 6 yard box easy header to score and he put it over the bar these things happen and forwards make mistakes but we had the chances to certainly not not have lost the match but we didn't take them there is a tactical issue there that Ben Rama and Lingard can't play together they both naturally take up the same space on the pitch and three times they bumped into each other so you know I think Moyes has got to think again play Balbuena as a holding midfield player leave Ben Rama on the bench and move Lanzini up to where he was when West Ham came back against Tottenham that inside left position that defenders hate because they think do I go do I go and mark him do I stand back off him you know and so he gets in between the lines it's a not great by Moyes and not great by the team. They didn't didn't really play well. One thing I noticed <laughs> in that match was uh, the commentator. Now, of course, we as broadcasters often say things that can be interpreted many ways, as can statistics. And the commentator said, you know, unlucky for West Ham, they've hit the woodwork more often than any other team in the Premier League this season. That could be in- interpreted the other way, of course, that their shooting is less accurate than any other team in the Premier League this season. So not necessarily a positive thing or unlucky. Well, no, because if, if you shoot and hit the woodwork, it is not a shot on target. The target is inside the post. <laughs> That's a mistake you're making, or at least in that game. So, yeah, hitting the woodwork is not necessarily a positive or um, something that you can say uh, as a positive thing about the team. West Brom got relegated. Unfortunately, it was the Woolwich Wanderers that did it. I am going to say that Woolwich beating West Brom 3-1 does not excuse Arteta for anything. Everybody's beaten West Brom practically this season. Now that they're in that position where they're going down, it was bound to happen, and people are saying, he's turned it around again he hasn't the Woolies are still dreadful they are dreadful and and it all comes back to the groundsman and his decisions you know it's the same week that they got knocked out of the Europa League by Villarreal managed by the ex-Arsenal manager 
and it, it's much much worse than that for Arteta when Emery was uh, manager of the Wanderers he took them to the final of the Europa League and in the semi-final they beat Valencia the two central midfield players for Valencia were Danny Parejo and Francis Coquelin, the ex-Arsenal player, as it turns out. And the two midfield players for Villarreal, central midfield players, it was Danny Parejo and Francis Coquelin. And so the same two who were beaten by Emery win under Emery and there were five players in the Arsenal team who Arteta has got rid of for being not good enough in fact there's six Meza Ozil Socrates Kolasinac Maitland-Niles Genduzi and Torreira Arteta has decided they're all not good enough and got rid of them and the t- players that he believes are good enough got beaten by the his predecessor as manager that is how good Arteta is <laughs> not good at all I'm happy about that though long may he stay as the Woolwich manager don't want them to change that uh, finally then uh, last round of games Fulham were relegated by Burnley who've also just over the last couple of weeks started coming good again yeah I mean we've said on this podcast throughout the season that there is always a period where, where Burnley are very good in the season and a period where they're very bad and it always coincides with their injuries get their full team on the pitch and Sean Dyche knows how to organise them how to get them playing well and it's not one of these cases where it's uh, just hit the long ball and hope they actually play football Burnley they're, they're a good team problems for Fulham well the same problem they've had all season they can't create chances and they don't score goals so that is Fulham West Brom and Sheffield United all confirmed and relegated so that's all sorted out that's the Premier League relegations in the Championship Wayne Rooney's Derby County just avoided being relegated on the last day of the season yeah and it wasn't anything to do with them it was uh, other other results other results saved them and and to be fair and give credit to Wayne Rooney we didn't get any jumping around and oh how fantastic it was he realised exactly what's happened this season but it's something to think about we we all now agree that Frank Lampard is not a good manager um, Derby County under Frank Lampard got 74 points and made the, the playoff final um, under Wayne Rooney 43 points and just escaped relegation I think it w- will be very interesting if he stays to see how he manages a team for a whole season yeah but there's more I think probably more behind those two juxtaposed points tallies for example Derby County had a, a takeover halfway through the season change of ownership possibly that's rocked the boat a bit and it was Wayne Rooney's first job in charge we'll see like you say how he will do next season to judge him a little better it was Frank Lampard's first job in charge of a football team as well true enough true enough we'll see what happens with Wayne Rooney but uh, at least he didn't jump around and celebrate as you say before we do our predictions for the next week of games and let's have a quick quick chat about Juventus well yeah it's the the fallout from the um, the European Super League isn't it whilst the Premier League is still humming and harring and trying to delay making any decisions about um, what to do the, the Italian League actually stepped in two weeks ago and said right these are now the rules and they wrote out rules for what would happen if you'd joined any potential future Super League and they made it a condition of applying to be in Serie A next season that you have to withdraw your application for Super League and you have to undertake not to take part and there are big financial penalties if you do take part and yet the English Premier League don't appear to be able to do that in the same time frame. Now one result of that, of course there were there were three teams who have still not withdrawn from the European Super League, Barcelona and Real Madrid and they probably won't ever withdraw from it for reasons to do with money in Spain. Juventus 
Juventus have, have refused to withdraw. So the Italian league have, have told them, look, it is a condition of playing in the Serie A next season that you have to have withdrawn and signed this document signing up to the fines and penalties if you do take part. So it will be interesting to see what Juventus do now. Yeah, it's a game of dare, isn't it? Who's going to blink first? I think Serie A will hold firm. I think they will hold good to their threat and they will they will relegate them. Yeah, it won't be the first time that Juventus have been relegated, yeah. will it? And, you know, they, they were relegated for the Calciopoli, Calciopoli scandal, which was basically match-fixing. Initially, they were relegated two divisions, but then on appeal, that was, I think, brought back to one with big financial fines. And does anybody think the Premier League would do that to Manchester United if it was found out that Manchester United had been match-fixing? Not a chance. And we say that Italy is corrupt. Yes, and actually, uh, they sort it out a lot quicker and a lot fa- more fair a lot more fairly so we shall see who uh, who blinks first but I think Juventus will back down yeah and let's let's not forget that they're not in the Champions League place for next season anyway they're currently fifth and they don't look very good no so all sorts of problems at Juventus will they keep their manager won't they Ronaldo could be on the move or will they be relegated to the next division not a great time to be a Juventus fan alright coming up this week we've got a lot of games uh, this week we're going to start on Thursday because of the way this podcast is released so we're going to skip ahead a, a day Thursday we've got Aston Aston Villa against Everton. I'm, I'm tempted to say just because Everton are playing away that they'll win, but I think I think Villa will win 2-1. All right, and then we've got the rearranged game from the Sunday before last, Man United against Liverpool, the one that was postponed due to fans' protests in the ground. Again, of course, it's at Old Trafford. There's nothing to say that uh, there won't be a protest again, but presumably they'll steward it and police it better. Man United against Liverpool, big, big game. Yeah, Maguire isn't playing, so Manchester United's defence will be better. Um, 2-1 to Manchester United. My only thing about that game is that Man United have got about seven games in nine days or whatever it is. Five games in nine days. Uh, they actually will have played Tuesday, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday and next Sunday. Will they play a weekend team against uh, Liverpool? Will Liverpool grab the chance? I still think they will put their best team out and beat Liverpool. Alright, well that might again give West Ham more than Tottenham a chance of getting into that top four or beating Liverpool even to fifth. Then on Friday... Will the Newcastle Revival continue their home to Manchester City? No. <laughs> yeah, that's the short one. No, it won't. Man City will win. Uh, they could be champions by then. They could be champions by then uh, if Man United lose their game this Tuesday or their game this Thursday. So Man City will win away at Newcastle. We don't have any doubt about that. Possibly celebrating their title. On Saturday, kind of weird really because we've got three Premier League games and an FA Cup final. Gone are the days when the FA Cup final was the only game in town let's start with FA Cup final though Chelsea against Leicester Chelsea for me gotta be Chelsea yeah I agree 2-0 that's 2-0 to Chelsea I think I'll probably go with that uh, Burnley against Leeds second to last game of the season something like that um, they've got very little to play for either team apart from pride and well you do get money for p- position you finish in don't you players don't no probably not uh, Southampton against Fulham Fulham already relegated Southampton just outside that drop zone probably feeling a bit of relief yeah you think Southampton will win that simply for that reason but uh, another team who were near that drop zone Brighton are at home but it's more important to West Ham and I am hoping that Brighton relaxed will be down on the beach and <laughs> yeah they haven't got far to go no and West Ham win 2-1 no sorry West Ham win 2-0 2-0 to West Ham for you uh, I'm hoping for a Brighton win obviously on Sunday Crystal Palace against Aston Villa bit of a nothing game in many ways as as you say you know players thoughts are on the beach well Crystal Palace players are their thoughts are where am I going to be playing 
next season because their manager hasn't been offered a new contract for next season and 15 of their players come out of contract at the end of the season so um, there'll be very definitely end of term feeling there and you, you'd think that Dean Smith will get his players up more than Hodgson Tottenham against Wolverhampton Wanderers it's a must win for Tottenham if they even think about Europa League and I'm going to go for 2-0 to Tottenham I'll say 2-1 to Wolves uh, West Brom against Liverpool West Brom already relegated Liverpool every game is important for them they are looking for a top 4 finish yeah 3-0 Liverpool it's exactly what I was going to say Everton are at home to Sheffield United Everton are at home Jeff to Sheffield United Chris um, Everton win on Tuesday which kind of brings us back round to recording day next week Manchester United against Fulham Manchester United pick a number um, 3-0 and then we've got Southampton against Leeds could be a draw that for me yeah it depends how, how up for it the Leeds players feel I think yeah draw 1-1 one, 1-1 one. One, one sounds reasonable another team like Everton who aren't great at home and they as we say a couple of days before we'll be playing West Ham Brighton having faced West Ham will then have to face Man City at home yeah I mean it could be absolutely anything couldn't it it'll be Man City's Man City's second team definitely two 2-0 to City. And finally, having faced Leicester in the FA Cup, the result of which currently we don't know because it's not been played yet, but they will know by then. Chelsea are at home to Leicester in the Premier League. I'll go for another 2-0 Chelsea win. All right, those are our predictions for the coming round of games. Before we say goodbye, your trivia question and the answer. Okay, the question was, what is the biggest points gap between the team who finished top and the team who finished bottom in a Premier League season? It was not Derby, uh, because they got the 11 points, but actually it isn't them. Last year, Norwich finished bottom with 21 points, which was 78 fewer than Liverpool. But even that isn't the record. The record was done in the 2018-19 season, Huddersfield finished with 16 points, 82 points behind the champions Manchester City. 82 points, the difference. And in most of the Premier League, 82 points has won you the league. Yeah, I was going to say that difference is enough, yeah, let alone uh, what they got. That's uh, pretty poor from Huddersfield. That's all we've got time for. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. And that was Hitting the Bar, the football podcast.